I wanna welcome all those joining us from the comfort of their homes and at one of our physical locations in Naperville, North Aurora, Wheaton, Romeoville, and Monmouth. I also wanna give a special shout out to our friends at Lift Church in Rochester, Minnesota, as they're joining with us as well. Today, we're closing out our study in the book of James. When we started this letter on the last Sunday in May, I thought we were only gonna cover chapters one through just chapter one for about three weeks. And then we would just move on to something else. That was because the topics in chapter one aligned with the current challenges we were facing as individuals and as a nation. We talked about overcoming trials, overcoming temptations, and overcoming turmoil as I related that specifically to the racial inequality and injustice that we were facing. Then as each week went by, we just kept leaning into this letter because it spoke so prophetically to what we've been experiencing. Over the course of this series, my hope is that this teaching from James has been as practical and insightful to you as it's been to me and my family. Remember, this letter was written to help Christians put their faith into action despite any difficulty or trial that they faced. Sound familiar? It certainly does. Here's the list of topics we covered by chapter. If you missed any of the weeks or the messages, the full-length services, you can view them online as they're available on demand. Today, I wanna talk to you about how we can continue to overcome in all of these areas. This is the common denominator for success and sustainability that we all need. The Bible, it calls us as Christians overcomers. Hence, that's where we got the title for this series. And there's some great promises that are guaranteed to those who overcome in all of these areas. Like Revelation chapter two, verse seven, to those who overcome, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelation chapter three, verse five, those who overcome shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot out their names from the book of life, but I will confess their names before my father and before his angels. And I love Revelation chapter 21, verse seven. The promise to overcomers says, to those who overcome shall inherit all things. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So how can we as overcomers continue to overcome in all things, all these areas. Think of it this way. What's the golden ticket to long-term success and sustainability? Or look at it this way, faithfulness and fruitfulness. Glad you asked that question. Open your Bibles with me to James chapter five. The title of the message is Overcoming Inauthenticity. And by inauthenticity, the writer is speaking about the lack of transparency and openness that can sometimes creep its way into the church as it's in individual members who are unwilling to share their hurts, their habits, and their hangups. And that's largely due to shame, fear, or embarrassment. And so what's happening here is James is giving us a clear call. That's what this passage does to authentic faith in how we live out our faith as being transparent and vulnerable when it comes to God and others. But for most, that kind of authenticity, if we're honest, it doesn't come easy and it isn't natural. It's so much easier for each of us to hold back, to keep to yourself, 
put up the walls, so to speak, and front the facade as we play church and maintain the status quo. But all that will do is limit your spiritual growth. Think of it this way. The plumb lines to maturity are established in the word of God, but they're maintained through genuine biblical community and fellowship with each other. Now, I'm not suggesting that you spill your guts to every person you meet, that that's what you gotta do, or go to some private chat room and reveal your deepest and darkest secrets. I'm not saying that at all. But who are you talking to? And how often are you talking? Who do you peel back the layers with to disclose what's really going on in your life? Who do you open up to? And do they hold to the same Christian worldview and values as you do? Who are you leaning on? As James warns in this letter, do not be friends with the world. Let me let you in on a little secret. People have been wearing masks a lot longer than those surgical ones that you see or the designer brands that are now the craze or the bandanas that make it look like you're holding up the clerk at the gas station. In my experience, as a pastor, we have all worn masks not to prevent something like respiratory droplets from exiting out, but rather to prevent others from entering in as we have a tendency to build up layers over time and they kind of act like our self-protection mechanisms to keep others from entering into the depths of our being and our soul. We tell ourselves, if that person really knew me, they might not accept me or they might not love me. And I've got to just say it like this. That's a lie from the enemy that empowers inauthentic Christianity. And that has a stronghold on the church. And that's what James is doing now is he's pointing both barrels at that. I've heard it said, to share your weakness is to make yourself vulnerable. To make yourself vulnerable is to actually show your strength. That is so true. So what can we do? How can we show our strength as overcomers to grow stronger together in these times? How can we grow in transparency and vulnerability with God and others? Let me share four steps to overcoming inauthenticity. Let's begin with step number one, ask for help. This is where it all starts. Look at the invitations that James gives to those in the church. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let's begin with the word suffering. It isn't just limited to physical pain as we might think that. It's a much broader in the original language than that. It includes all the physical, spiritual, and emotional pain that this life brings. Remember, the context of this letter, these were Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. Imagine the boatload of anxiety and fear that they must have experienced as they were watching their friends and their family members suffer for the gospel. So what does the text tell us to do if we're in the midst of that? Verse 13 and 14, Pray, sing, call. Now, before I get into what this is all at, about and what it gets into, let me, let's not miss the obvious. The text assumes that you are part of a local body of believers to call out to. 
The text makes the presumption that they are not only part of the big capital C church, but also engaging in the little small C church so they have some place to turn when things are difficult. That's a really big deal in our day as too many people are playing the field when it comes to church, if I can say it like that. Just like we do not have multiple spouses in marriage, we're not supposed to have multiple brides when it comes to the local church by elders. The passage is referring to the spiritually mature leaders in the body. Not that they have a corner on the market, but they're responsible and accountable to God for the spiritual oversight in the church. They help create an environment where anyone can access the prayer and the help and the wisdom they need to grow. I'm so thankful for our elder couples in all of our locations here at High Point, along with our campus pastors and their wives. I mean, we've got a great team. Their heart and desire is to walk alongside of you and encourage you as they open up their hearts to share how God has walked with them through the nasty and the nice that this world offers. And let's be honest, things are difficult. So whether you're in Romeoville or Monmouth or Wheaton or even Rochester, Minnesota, we aren't saying it's by our strength, it's by his strength. We aren't saying it's by our presence, it's by his presence. We aren't saying it's because of our name, it's because of his name. The spiritual leaders and pastors in our churches are simply the conduits or vessels, broken vessels that God uses to help us all connect more deeply and intimately with him. The text says they're to pray and anoint with oil. Now, oil was used for medical purposes in their day to provide some temporary relief, but that's not the primary focus here for them or for us. See, oil throughout the scriptures is oftentimes referred to as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's a reference to the healing nature of Almighty God. Verse 15 says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The prayer of faith. It means that it is grounded in the person and work of Christ as that's where the power ultimately comes from. Interestingly, it says save, make note of that, not heal. It says if you've sinned, you're forgiven at the end. That's because the number one concern is spiritual healing rather than physical. Remember, that's the reason Jesus healed the people when he walked this earth. It was to prove that he had the power to forgive sin. That's why he said to the religious leaders, which is easier to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your mat and walk. But that you may know that I, the son of man, have the authority to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus was proclaiming his ability and authority to forgive sin and used physical healing as the means to accomplish it. In the Bible, physical healing, it's a picture of the spiritual healing that all of us need. Now, I'm not saying that God no longer heals, please. I would never say that. I'm not a cessationist believing that some gifts have ceased. I've had a front row seat to people being healed right here in our church family. Let me shout it out. God heals. Make no mistake about that. He just doesn't do it on our timetable or he doesn't do it on demand. See, when Jesus and the apostles were walking around the earth, they performed what is often referred to as healing on demand. They healed at any time, at any place, at any moment. They did it, catch this, to accelerate the gospel message. But as you carefully read the New Testament, you'll see that this practice diminishes over time. 
it becomes less and less as the gospel went forth. Hey, if I could heal on demand like they did, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be over at Edwards Hospital down the street cleaning out the ER. That's why this passage is so important. This is the teaching for healing in the church today. We're to call on the spiritually mature leaders in the local body to support you through prayer and anointing as oil as a symbol of our utter dependence on the Lord. But notice the middle of verse 15, uh, 14, excuse me. It says, let him call. That's a reference to all of us as it's our job as Christians to ask for help. It's our responsibility to make the need known to the spiritual leaders in the body. Over the years, I've seen this happen at the front of our church where we've anointed people, prayed for them after services in homes and hospital rooms. A couple weeks ago, Jody and I, along with Pastor Craig Steiner, our Naperville campus pastor, and some of our worship team, we actually went over to a person's home in our body to do just this. Joe has been in an intense battle with a life-threatening illness since early 2019. We'd been to his home in January as he's been shut in uh, to take communion and anoint him with oil. So we went over there. I told him, I kind of was joking with him. Hey, Joe, if you can't come to church, the church is gonna come to you. That was back in January. We pinged back this time to surprise him with a worship set. Please pray for Joe and Shameen as he is fighting this battle daily. We've got many people in our church across our five locations that we're ministering to helping who are going through similar types of trials. Many are aware that this pandemic, as it went on earlier this summer at the peak, our care centers at all of our locations were serving over 600 families a week. I mean, at times the needs can simply seem overwhelming but we want to help those God continues to entrust to us in this local body and the many, many people he's sending our way. Today, as we regather at each of our locations, there's a pastor and an elder couple available to pray with you and anoint with you, you with oil if you desire, as the text says. If you're joining us online, please do this. If you're in need, text prayer to the number on the screen and our online campus pastor will pray for you immediately. Step number two to overcoming inauthenticity is to share your struggles. Verse 16, it says this, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, the word translated confess in the original language, it literally means to make things known. That's what we're called to do, to reveal more and more of ourselves to others, to open up about the crevices of our hearts so that they don't become cracks, which left to themselves will become canyons. Someone might be thinking, hey, can't I just go to God myself? Or what do I need you for? That's a really good question. Write down Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, because it makes it clear, yes, you can go to God yourself with complete confidence. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, there it is, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance, there it is again, that confidence that faith brings. 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I remember when I was teaching this truth to my sister and she had just become a Christian and we were visiting her in Cleveland and went to her church, which was meeting in a storefront. At the end of the service, there was a visiting evangelist who came to provide healing. So they made a strong push or appeal for people to come forward to pray. And my sister went up as she struggled with many health issues over the years. So Jody and I, as we saw her go up front, we went up front to support her as the itinerant pastor was ministering to all the other needs of the people. So I kind of asked my sister, I gently said, you know, if I could pray for her. And she looked at me to my surprise and she said, no, I'll wait for the other pastor. I was good with it. So I thought, as I reflected on Jesus's words, a prophet is without honor in his own country. I felt like that for sure. Then I explained to her, that we can go directly to God ourselves because of what Jesus had accomplished on the cross. And that we as believers, we could pray for each other, one another. And I said to her, Jody and I, we wanna do this for you right now while we're waiting for the real pastor. So we prayed. And honestly, it was a really special time at the front of the church. Then the next thing you know, the itinerant pastor, he comes over and he asks my sister Eileen if she wanted prayer. And I got to laugh because she responded with a shake of her head. No, we got it covered already. Did you know that the Bible says we can pray for each other? You know, that's what the Bible says. You can go on, move on to someone else. I just had to smile because you know what? As we made our way back to our seats, we were praying and we're the body of Christ caring for one another and loving one another. Think for a moment. Since we can go straight to God ourselves, what is the point in confessing to each other? Well, it's not because any of us has the power to absolve sin, that is for sure. But we do have the power to encourage, to care for each other, and to pray for each other, just like I did with my sister. And also, what's important is we have the power to hold each other accountable so that we can have more victory over the sin that plagues us. There's 59 one another statements in the New Testament. You may have heard of the one another statements. They're, they're the descriptors of what we're called to do for each other. 59, that's a lot. As I continue this message, I'm gonna begin flashing them on the screen. Well, not I, but our great team of people who are behind the scenes doing an awesome job getting all this to you. But we wanna flash these on the screens while I'm talking and their references to remind us of all of what we as followers of Christ are called to do. I've heard it said, the primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. And I just believe that to be so true. That's what we're called to do. That's what this passage is teaching. That's why we here at High Point, we have an emphasis on small groups or growth groups at all of our locations. They're the place where you can be known and you can be cared for. They serve as the backbone for discipleship for our church. They're so important. As we begin regathering for the fall, we have three versions of groups that you can join. We've got an in-person group, We've got digital groups. We've got hybrid groups. Stay tuned for more details on all of these options. Our team has been working really hard and very creatively on how they can take advantage of this unique season so that we can continue to practice the one another's that you see on the screen. Speaking one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that we would continue to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's often been true in my own life 
that my biggest challenges have become my greatest opportunities as I've allowed God to reframe the circumstances for his good and glory. That's what we're trying to do as a church, to take these unique times and reframe them. That's what we all need to keep doing as these trying times can become opportunities to unite us rather than pull us apart. As the one others keep scrolling, scrolling on the screen, let me share a dad's story with you. Jody and I were biking recently. We love doing that. And we ran into a young couple from our church that we didn't know. And they would have just let us go right on by. But the girl's dad uh, was there and he flagged us over and he's like, oh, come on over here. That's the pastor. And, and he brought us over and introduced everybody to us. He was really thankful in front of all of us about the impact that our church has had on his daughter's faith over the years as he and his wife lived downstate. And so he's been to our church and visited many times. So he starts doing this. Imagine this, we're all around the table and he starts giving me all the intel on his daughter and son-in-law to get them involved. He had an agenda to more serving and small group opportunities in their church. He said, oh, they're great. They're doing this and they can do this. And, and I could tell as he was going on that, that she was kind of getting embarrassed, his daughter. So I gave him my phone number. Then later that week, he sends me a text and he literally copied her in telling me that she wants more info on that small group that Jody was talking about. Then he sends me, catch this, a private text while I got the other one with his daughter on it. And he says, he says, well, she's probably not happy with me right now for initiating all of this. You think? I mean, I just had to laugh because it sounded like something I would do. But make no mistake, he's no helicopter parent. You've heard of them, I'm sure. That's the crave. People are talking about writing about it. They're the ones who hover around their kids, overprotecting them and causing them to lack resilience and initiative in their own life. Well, this dad wasn't like that at all. I would describe him more as a B-52 bomber dad. Are you getting what I'm saying? He's one who's fast and powerful and agile, knowing exactly when and where to strike, doing whatever is needed to make sure that his daughter was maturing in the faith. So dads, as we're modeling the one another's to our kids, to our families, to, be, to the people around us, be like this dad and do everything you can to engage your kids in the local church, no matter what age. Let's make sure we're B-52 bomber dads, not helicopter dads, or worse yet, you know what's happening with the four, 747? They're phasing it out. We don't wanna be 747 dads being retired or phased out of service. Remember, this is what it says in 3 John. There is no greater joy than to have your children walking in the truth. That's our desire, is that we would love one another and walk in the truth. Step number three to overcoming inauthenticity, we got to lean on God. So many people are leaning on everything else other than God and his word during these trying times. I mean, even in the church, we see that happening. Notice the example though, in verse 17 and 18 of a guy who leaned exclusively on God, Elijah. He was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. When it says a nature like ours, it's describing a person of like feeling or similar suffering. As in, Elijah was just like you and me. He was frail, he was human. He was in need of dependence upon God. 
Let me give you the cliff notes of the version. You could read the full story in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. Elijah went toe-to-toe with a false prophet. He dreamed big and asked God for a miracle. And guess what? God gave him that miracle. And as a matter of fact, it's one of the most powerful illustrations of the potency of prayer in the Old Testament. Let me turn to John chapter 15, as this is our go-to passage for what it looks like in our lives today. It's the antidote to inauthentic faith. These verses are the best picture of what a genuine relationship with God looks like in the entirety of the Bible. It's from Jesus himself, as he says in verse one of John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you and I are clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, he it is that will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So prove to be my disciples as the father has loved me. So I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 10 times in 11 verses, we are told to abide. We see this word abide 116 times in the New Testament. 64 of those times, they're used by John himself. That's what we are called to do as followers of Christ, abide. Just as a branch remains attached to a tree to sustain itself physically, we are to remain attached to Jesus to sustain ourselves mentally and spiritually. And if not, the passage warns, we become like a stick. We're, uh, we're dead and of no use, inauthentic and of no value, ready to be burned in the fire. Write this down. Abar, abide literally means to make your home in. It's what my two oldest daughters still do in my home today, despite the fact that they've both moved out. They still act like they're living there and I'm too much of a helicopter dad, I guess, to kick them out. They have their own rooms in my house, even though they moved out. They store their stuff in my house, even though they moved out. They and their husbands, if you can imagine this, they eat my chips, they drink my soda in my house, even though they moved out. If I didn't know any better, I would have thought they hadn't moved out at all, which if I'm honest, I'm good with it because my home is always gonna be their home and that will never change because I'm their dad. And it's the same way with our heavenly father. We are to make our home in Jesus. And he never asks us to move out. He never asks us to leave. We can enjoy all the benefits in his home as we abide and take up residence in him. 
We're part of his family and he wants us around all the time. Plus, he's always got a full fridge. Abide. It's a picture. It's a picture for each of us as followers of Christ of taking up residence in Jesus and Jesus taking up residence in us. That's what's being described in John chapter 15 to combat inauthenticity. I'd sum up abiding in these three words. They may be worthy to write down if you're taking notes. Continuous, dependent living. That's what we're called to do. To continuous, dependent living. That's what he's asking us to do. Now, let's have some fun. Let me ask you a couple questions. How do you know if the glasses on the table at the cocktail party that you've been invited to are genuine crystal? Well, if you tap the glass and you hear this musical ring, uh, a little bit of an echo, then it's for sure it's genuine Waterford crystal. How do you know? If the Rolex watch that your brother-in-law, he's got it in your face, how do you know that it's not a knockoff? Well, if you watch the movement of the second hand and it rotates continuously without clicking, unlike your watch, it's the real thing. How do you make sure that that engagement ring that your fiance gave you is not cubic zirconium? Well, if you breathe on the stone like to fog a mirror and it dissipates immediately, it's legit. But if it stays foggy, just a little hint, for several seconds, then I gotta warn you, you got a cheapskate for a boyfriend. How do you know this? How do I know that? Well, that's the first thing Jody did when, she, when we got engaged. She just blew on the ring. I mean, you know, so, but let's, that's another story. How do you know if a person is a genuine follower of Christ? It's all about abiding, continuous dependent living, making your home in Jesus by looking to him learning from him, leaning on him and loving him enough to obey. Lastly, how to overcome inauthenticity. That's what we're talking about. We've given several steps. The last one is commit to growth. The next couple verses, they may seem a bit disjointed as they appear to come out of left field, but I guarantee you they're not. See, your greatest commitment to growth personally in Jesus is revealed in your commitment to help others grow in the gospel. Let me say that again, that's really important. Your greatest commitment to growth in Jesus is revealed in your commitment to help others grow in the gospel, even when they have turned their back on him. Notice verses 19 and 20, because that's what the verses are getting at. And this isn't easy. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multiple of sins. Wanders. It means literally to lose your way. This is referring to the person who's veered off the path or maybe they took the wrong way. Know anybody like that? I mean, I'm sure you do. If we're honest with ourselves, we've all been there. If you're like me, you've probably had somebody who helped you find your way back. But now... We are being called to help others find their way back. It comes full circle. And that's our greatest growth track. It's our opportunity for maturity as we help others believe, belong, and become like Christ. Verse 20 says, you'll save their soul from death and cover a multiple of sins. That just reveals what's at stake here. Their eternity, their forgiveness, their salvation, and the sincerity of your own faith. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep as the shepherd leaves the 99 to chase down the one who got away. 
And that's what Jesus did for you. And that's what Jesus wants you to do for others. Let's close by reviewing these steps to overcoming inauthenticity. As you think about your own spiritual journey, these are the steps that we're talking about that we need to engage in, that we need to help other people with. Do you know the difference between transparency and vulnerability? Because we really need both to overcome inauthenticity. But transparency says, here's my stuff. It lays it up on the table and these are the issues, these are the things that I'm struggling with. There's a sincerity and an openness of heart to get it out on the table so that everybody can see it. But vulnerability, on the other hand, it's very different. It's when you say, okay, here's my stuff, but I invite you in to help me to deal with it, to overcome it, to get healed through it. That's an entirely different thing. That's a really scary thing when you make the choice to do it. But it leads to authenticity. And that's what we're all going for. My prayer during this season, this very unique season that we're in, is that more of us would move from transparency to vulnerability as we invite God into the center of our storm and other people that we know, that we have confidence and that we trust in the boat with us to help us to overcome. No matter what's happening, no matter how big the struggle, no matter how painful it is to be transparent and to do this, to be transparent in such a way where we invite people in. We can overcome anything together with God as long as he is in the center and we practice this transparency and vulnerability with each other. Joe and I have learned this statement to be true in our faith journey. As our story, it continues to be written and unfold. Maybe it's true for you. The genuineness of our faith is often revealed in our willingness to share our scars, to show them with other people so that they can find help, healing, and hope. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. It gives life. And we thank you for Jesus who ultimately went to the cross and did the, the unimaginable for us that he gave his life so that we could live and find life. The scripture says faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. May this message and this letter continue to breathe life into us, increasing our faith that we would move into a greater relationship with you, a deeper time, a more intimate time as we are transparent and vulnerable, pursuing an authentic faith.